So the reading is from Jonah, and it's Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to a little bit of verse 3, which is on page 928, if you can get there before I finish. Jonah chapter 1, slightly different version I've got here, but it's close enough. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against her, for their evil has come up before my face. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the face of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Probably wasn't very long, was it? No. So we are thinking about Jonah this term over the next uh, nine weeks or so. And why are we doing that? Well, if I took uh, a bit of a guess, I imagine that all of us here uh, know the story of Jonah. Uh, In fact, if I took a guess, I suspect most people, whether or not they uh, follow Christ or not, know the story of Jonah. I did an assembly on it at the school uh, just before uh, Christmas. Uh, And it's one of those stories in the Bible, isn't it, that really resonates with us for for some unknown reason. I wonder what it is about it. It's probably the whale, isn't it? Let's be honest, I've got a nice picture of a whale for us uh, there. It's actually mentioned as a big fish in the Bible. We don't know if it's necessarily a whale. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But it's a great story, isn't it? This idea of God saying to somebody, go and do something, and then them refusing to do it, and then God sending a big whale to capture them and to bring them back. Uh, now, two things uh, about the whale. So we get that out of the way first and foremost, or the big fish. Because how we respond to this idea of a big fish catching somebody and bringing them home might say something about how we view our faith, in fact. Because if we accept the existence of God, and if we crucially accept that Jesus was born of a virgin, uh, and if we accept the amazing resurrection of Christ from the dead, both of those are far greater miracles than than a big fish capturing somebody and moving it from one place to another, then this idea that God could send a large fish isn't actually particularly difficult, even if it is uh, remarkable. The second thing to say about the fish in the book of Jonah uh, is that it's actually only mentioned twice in two very brief verses, and there's no descriptive details about it at all. It's just there as a kind of matter of fact, this is what happened. There's so much more to this story of Jonah. So whatever you think about it, whatever you think about that whale, that fish, don't get distracted by it as we look at this story together. This story of Jonah is one that helps us to understand something about running away from God, which we'll do this evening. It's about seeing God at work in the storms of life. It's about race. It's about nationalism. It's about calling. It's about love. It's about sin. It's about grace. It's about justice. It's about compassion. So, sorry if this is sad news to you. We're not going to spend the next nine weeks studying the merits of the fish and whether or not it actually happened. We are going to see what this story has to say for us, and I suggest it has quite a lot. Just a little bit of context. You'll note we've called this the prodigal prophet. Uh, If you've got uh, very full bookshelves, you might have found a book by Tim Keller of the same name. I make no apology for the fact that we've stolen this, straight borrowed this uh, from Tim Keller. This is an excellent book. We're also using some of the uh, same pattern and thoughts that he has on this subject. I highly recommend this book to you. Why is Jonah known as the prodigal prophet? Why is Tim suggesting that he's the prodigal prophet? Why 
is, uh, why are we saying the same? Well, Jonah, this story of Jonah that we read uh, in actually just four very short chapters is in fact two very similar stories. Uh, And and, uh, this is how Tim Keller illustrates it in the book. You see scene one and scene two in chapters one and two and in chapters three and four. In chapters one and two, Jonah is given a command and fails to obey it. And then in chapters three and four, he's given that command again, but this time carries it out. And And the two accounts are almost parallel to each other completely. They're almost exactly the same. Uh, as Tim lays out in this book here. And you can borrow my book if you'd like to at another point. As we read this book, we actually see it parallels quite neatly with another story, that of the prodigal son that we find in Luke 15. I don't know if you can remember that story. I'm sure you can. There's a rich man who has two sons and the youngest son doesn't want to uh, be at home anymore. And so he says, I want all my money. I want all the inheritance that I'm going to get. Uh, I'm going to go away and use it. And so he goes away and he spends all of his inheritance on things that he shouldn't do. Uh, And then he comes back to the house. And at the house is the elder son, the son that has been there all the way through, faithfully serving on the farm, faithfully looking after everything. And he expects the father uh, to tell him to go away. But the father welcomes him back with loving arms, so much so that he gives a lavish feast for him on his arrival. They kill the fatted calf. And then we see the anger of the second son. What on earth? Why on earth has he done this to him? And there's something of that story, as we'll discover as we go through, which mirrors Jonah's story, I think. And perhaps Jesus had this story of Jonah in mind when he told that parable. And so that's the reason for the title, it's the reason for the title of, uh, of the series that we've got, the reason for the title of this, of Tim's uh, book. So, this evening, what are we going to think about with these three and a bit verses, two and a bit verses? This idea of running from God. Our reading this evening is uh, probably the shortest that we've got through the nine uh, weeks. As I say, just three verses. It could have easily said, God said to Jonah, get up and go over there. And so Jonah got up and went over there, because that's essentially what the three verses are saying. Get up and go over there, um, but Jonah got up and went over there. Unusually, though, these verses start by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It starts at its very, very beginning with calling, with the calling of Jonah. God was unsubtle. God called Jonah to go and do a thing. God had a plan for him that he wanted him to go and do. And my first question for us this evening from these three verses is how good are we at stopping and listening to God's call on our life? We read a little bit more about Jonah in um, Two Kings and we know that he was a prophet and a prophet has a specific calling to hear when God speaks to them. But I actually believe that that is something that is true for all of us in, uh, in, as, as followers of Christ. Uh, get ready for lots of P's now for this next sentence. You ready? Pre-Pentecost, the presence of God was for particular people at a particular time with a particular purpose. Post-Pentecost, the presence of God permeates every heart. That's 14 P's. The events of this story happened pre-Pentecost at a time when there were prophets. Throughout the Old Testament, we read of the prophets of God that would stop and listen to God and declare what he's saying to the people. But in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and post-Pentecost for us, 
The Holy Spirit is for all of us and for each of us. And we can all and each hear God's calling in our lives. And so hearing God speak to us should be our expectation and not our exception. And so Jonah, in this story, gets at least one thing right. Because at the very least, he hears what it is that he's supposed to do. We'll put aside for a moment the fact he doesn't do it. He actually hears what God is telling him to do. Now, we're not told how God spoke to Jonah. It may have been that he came with a mighty cloud, uh, with a whole throng of angels, and said, this is God, go over there. Um, We don't know. Uh, It doesn't tell us, of course. But Jonah, at least, was receptive to hear what it was that God had to say to him. Do we get as far as that? Or do we sometimes miss it? I have a couple of people who... uh, uh, who pray with me and are helping me as uh, prophetic mentors, help me to develop my understanding and my hearing of God. And these are people who have been hearing from God for a lot longer than I have. In fact, they've been doing it for longer than I've been alive because uh, uh, I'm 36 and they've been doing it for much longer than that. And the last time that I met them, just before uh, Christmas, the first question they asked me, which is the first question they ask me every single time I meet them, is what has God been saying to you recently? What's he been saying to you in the last couple of days? And I really struggled. And I really struggled because in the preceding few days, I've done a really bad job of stopping and of listening and of making myself available to hear God speak to me. I have a phrase which in fact comes from one of those ladies who prays with me, which is that hearing God speak is not about turning him up. It's about turning everything else down. It's about finding space. It's about committing to that space It's about coming before him with an expectant and willing heart. Do we do that? Do we give God that space to speak to us? I wonder. So Jonah has heard God speak, and yet he chooses uh, to do something else. Jonah, go over here. Uh, No thanks, I'm going to go over here. Now, there are at least two things at work here uh, as well. Firstly, there's the complete refusal for him to do uh, what he's told. Now, in fact, if you look at the human history of Jonah's story. If you look at Jonah in human terms, he's probably the last person that we would have expected God uh, to have sent to do this job, to go to Nineveh. He was intensely patriotic and he was intensely partisan. Uh, It's not a great analogy, but it's a little bit like God saying to Nigel Farage, go to the Lib Dem party in the height of the Brexit negotiations. Remember when Brexit was a thing on the news? Do you remember that? It's like saying to Nigel Farage in the height of the Brexit negotiations to to go to the Lib Dems and to convince them to vote for Brexit. They wouldn't want him to come. He wouldn't want to go there. They wouldn't listen to him if if he did. They're unlikely to kill him, which was a very real risk for Jonah in this story. But all the same, they wouldn't want him to be there. It doesn't make humanly any sense. And so we perhaps can have a little bit of sympathy for Jonah. And Jonah gives himself some reasons a little bit later, and we'll look at those in a future week. But the reality is, he decides he doesn't want to do what God has told him to do. And this, at its very essence, is what sin is. Let's think for a moment about our world. Let's think about ourselves. Let's think about, for a moment, all of the commands of this book, all the things that this tells us to do, how it commands us to spend our time and our money, how it commands us to live in purity, what it tells us to do with our bodies and who we share those with. While sometimes the commands of Scripture might not make any sense to us, there is no doubt of their veracity and what it is that they're calling us to do. 
Paul says in Romans, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are called as followers of Christ to be different, to live differently, to be marked out by that. So before we cast Jonah off as this disobedient guy who didn't really uh, deserve to be asked in the first place, can we really and truly say that we are doing all that we can to live holy lives following God's commands? Now, this story is also a story of grace. And again, we'll look at that in more detail in a future week. But it's not just the obvious ways in which Jonah is running from God. And here, this is where it neatly parallels with that story of the prodigal son. In choosing to do the complete opposite of what God wants him to do, he's a little bit like the younger son. He's decided to take all of what he can and go somewhere else. He's doing the opposite of what the father wants to do. But he's also mirroring the the second son. And this is the third thing I wanted to say. This story tells us that Jonah not only had a problem with what God wanted him to do, but he also had a problem with the one who was asking him to do it. Jonah can see no good reason why God has commanded him to do the thing that he's commanded him to do. And so therefore he resolves that there can't possibly be a good reason. Jonah doubts the goodness, the wisdom, the justice of God in this story and there he mirrors the older son in his response remember at the end of the story of the prodigal son he can see no good reason why the father should welcome back the younger son and throw this 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 feast for him and so therefore he assumes that there cannot be one neither son trusts the father's love both are trying to find a way to escape it and both are trying a way to find a way to escape his control. One does it by obeying all of his commands, the other by uh, disobeying them all. And I think this is a trap that some of us might fall into from time to time. And it's another way in which we can be guilty of running from God. We think that if we're religiously observant, uh, if, we, uh, if we're virtuous and good, then we've paid all of our dues to God And therefore, God somehow owes us. But this isn't moving towards him in joyful surrender. It's again a way of controlling God. And and as a result, keeping him at arm's length from us. I've been through this a couple of times, particularly. uh, Firstly, uh, when I went through for selection for ordination the first time. Uh, I felt God calling me to be a vicar from a very young age. Most of you know this already. Uh, In fact, announced that I wanted to be a vicar when I was three years old. Uh, And uh, uh, I had extraordinary experiences of God uh, calling me into being uh, a vicar. Uh, And when I went to what's called a a bishop's advisory panel, uh, which is a very scary experience indeed, um, uh, I I went having had some experiences Extraordinary experiences of God's Holy Spirit, which confirm this calling. I went with a church, a vicar, a bishop, uh, a whole family, congregation, all believing that this was what God had called me to do. And yet they said no. Now, I'm not an imposter, as I say. I went back and they said yes, eventually. But my initial reaction when they said no was of anger towards God. I could see no good reason whatsoever why God would allow this to happen. And so I concluded 
that there couldn't be. I knew it was what he wanted me to do. Now, in retrospect, I'm able to see that God's timing was perfect. He needed to do some work in me in that season. Uh, And indeed, who knows, uh, this job might not have been available uh, had I gone through two years earlier. Uh, I wouldn't have gone to the curacy that I went to had I not gone, gone through two years earlier. It's easy to look back in retrospect. Sometimes. That, that was about 10 years ago that that happened. Almost five years ago to the day, uh, Jess and I very sadly experienced a miscarriage. For those of you who have had those, those of you who know people who have had those, they're very painful experiences in our lives. And once again, five years after I'd gone through that first bat, I found myself angry with God. I could see no good reason why this could happen. And so therefore I concluded that there couldn't be one. In fact, the experience of five years earlier helped me to learn to trust God quickly. Not immediately. Initially, as I say, I was angry with him for it. But to trust that, as it says in scripture, he is working all things for our good. Doesn't mean he caused it, but he is working in it. And the secret of trusting God is to trust him when, at the time, we can see what he's doing. It's to trust him when, in retrospect, oh, actually, I could see what you were doing then, even if at the time I couldn't. And to trust him in these times when we have no idea what he is doing and how he is moving, how he will work it for our God. Good. So for us, then, this two and a half verses of Jonah. How do we respond to them? Well, firstly, are we listening to God? Are we giving him the opportunities to speak to us? Are we taking those opportunities? Are we giving those spaces where we're turning everything else down in order that we may hear him? Secondly, what are the ways in which we're actively running from God? What are the things in which we're being actively disobedient to his word in? And we'll know what those are. And thirdly, do we really trust him even when things don't make sense to us? This story of Jonah is one of storms, of falls from grace and of wondrous restorations. My prayer is over the next nine weeks as we study it together that God would speak clearly to us and he would bring us back to his loving presence. I wonder if you would stand with me as Bryn and Steph return to continue to lead us in worship.